Thank you. That was beautiful. Fabulous. Incredible. I'm sure many of you, like me, have been watching the Olympics over the past couple of weeks, and isn't it extraordinary to see such excellence? It's wonderful. Blessing. Now, I realize in my first illustration here, I'm kind of going out on the limb and taking a little bit of a risk, but I'm going to do it nonetheless, despite the fact I'm in Husky and Cougar territory. Uh, the, the date was November 20th, 1982. It was my last college football game as a student at the University of California, Berkeley. <laughs> Couple Bear fans out there, alumni? Student section. Cal uh, looked, unfortunately, like they were going to end the season the way they had uh, ended many of their games that season, uh, losing in the final seconds. Um, they, Stanford had marched down at the end of the game. John Elway had scored, a, a, thrown a touchdown with only seconds remaining. And Cal fans were absolutely crushed. Um, dreams of winning the big game just began kind of swirling down the toilet. And there was a hush in the student section. But you could hear what people were thinking. Not again. <laughs> and then this happened. Harmon will probably try to squib it, and he does. Ball comes loose, and the Bears have to get out of bounds. Rodgers along the sideline, another one. They're still in deep trouble at midfield. They tried to do a couple of... The ball is still loose as they get it to Rodgers. They get it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. All oh, the band is out on the field. He's going to go... And I was there. Woo! Woo! All right. That was the greatest moment of what was otherwise a totally forgettable season. So that series of laterals became known as the play. And it goes down down into the annals of college football as one of the greatest endings ever. You know, sometimes we have final conversations or final events that are truly memorable in our lives. That was one for me. Jesus engaged in a final conversation with his disciples that was truly memorable. In fact, it was so memorable that the Apostle John did a brilliant job of remembering and then writing it down for all of the world to hear. Theologians call it the last discourse, and it's found in John 13 through 17. Today, as we continue on in our series called Fearless Q, uh, we're going to respond to a number of questions that many of you had about the church, the church with a capital C. Those of us that believe in Jesus Christ as, as our Lord and Savior, whatever our denominational background is. Here are a few of the questions that you asked about the church. Why can't my faith just be about me and Jesus? Why do I need the church? I've been really hurt by the church. If God calls Christians to love unconditionally, then why don't they show more grace? Why is the church so divided? 
Why are there so many denominations in the world when we believe in the same God? Wow, a lot of those are pretty heavy-duty questions. Hard to hear, especially some of the questions that come from the church. You and me, we are the church. And it's hard to hear that people have been hurt or wounded by the church. And I realize that many of the people that I wish would hear my message this morning aren't here because they gave up on the church, because they've been wounded. But if you've been wounded by the church, and I suspect there's more than one or two of you, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Praise the Lord. But sometimes when we've been wounded by the church, we, we can kind of put the church at arm's length. We can, we can kind of develop an attitude in ourselves, sort of, um, I can come and I can go, but I don't want to get too close to people. Because sometimes they bite, and I get hurt. That may be keeping some of you from joining a life group. Or maybe getting involved serving in the church in some capacity here at Chapel Hill. I don't know. But if, if that's you, I, want, I ask you to keep listening here this morning. There are others of you here this morning that have wounded others in the church... And you may be aware of that, or you may totally be unaware of that. And I pray that um, as this message goes on, that the Holy Spirit will make you aware of something. Maybe you need to ask someone's forgiveness. Maybe you need to make a phone call after the service and uh, ask somebody to forgive you that's hurt you in the church. And then for many of you who have been in the church for many, 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 many years, maybe even most of your lives, and um, it, you've served in the church. You've been in leadership in the church. And you know what it is both to be hurt and to hurt others. So if you're in that category, welcome to the club. Hopefully this morning's message will have something for all of us. I want to read uh, a few verses from John 13 through 17 because it's Jesus' last conversation with all of his disciples together. And because they're all together, Jesus wanted to say a few things that they would remember very carefully. So our first scripture is from John 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, A new command I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And then at the end of the last discourse in John 17, when Jesus prays for his disciples, he prays for both his disciples that are there and then also for future disciples who will believe in the message through them. Jesus prays to the Father, I do not ask for these only, his immediate disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may, be, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them, even as you loved me. This is the word of the Lord. 
Lord, I, I just pray today, Holy Spirit, that you come and that you speak to hearts and minds today. And if there are people that have been wounded, Lord, uh, from the church, and Lord, I just, on behalf of pastors from churches all over, many churches that are not represented here, I just ask, Lord, for your forgiveness and for your for- forgiveness to be received by the people today if there are people here that have been wounded by pastors. And I would ask that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me first, as, as I begin, let me just first summarize very quickly um, John 13 through 17. Jesus' final conversation with his disciples, a truly memorable event. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus is meeting with these men that he has, he has walked with, he's done mission with for the last three years, and he wants to leave them with something that is truly memorable that they're going to remember for years to come. So what does Jesus do in John 13? Well, first off, he feeds them. He gives them food. He sits around the table and they eat together, so they'll listen to what he has to say. I talked to Ryan Palmer recently, our, our middle school uh, director for the kids, and he says he always feeds the students first so that they'll hopefully listen, maybe. <laughs> and then Jesus washes their feet. Now, wait a minute. The, the disciples were all in when it came to eating around the table and talking to Jesus. That was a very cool thing to do. We, we like doing that, especially guys. We like being together. We like eating and kind of shooting the breeze. But then Jesus starts washing people's feet and things start getting very uncomfortable very fast. Jesus wanted to model for his disciples something that they would remember for a long time because it was absolutely scandalous for a rabbi to wash the feet of his disciples. They just didn't do that in that day and age. So it was scandalous for them that their rabbi, their master, would do such a thing. And he did that because he wanted them to know that the number one thing that you need to do for one another is you need to serve one another. And then Jesus put it this way at the very end of the chapter. He said, a new commandment I give to you, love one another just as I have loved you so that you may love one another. By this, all people are are going to know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. And so they're thinking about this and taking this in. And then all of a sudden in John chapter 14, Jesus says, oh, and by the way, I'm going to leave you. And they get all anxious because they've given up pretty much everything over those, these three years in order to follow Jesus. He says, but don't worry, I'm going to come back and take you to be where I am. And then in John 15, he says, okay, let's go for a little walk. Let's get out of this room here together. And they walk and Pretty soon they come upon a vineyard and Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And he says, unless the branches are connected to the vine, you have no part in me. You have no part in my ministry. Unless you are one in me, the ministry that you try to do will be for naught. And then in John 16, Jesus explains that He's not leaving them alone, but he's leaving the Holy Spirit. And he talks about the work and the, the person of the Holy Spirit. And he concludes this last cor- discourse with John 17, where Jesus prays for his disciples. 
And he prays to the Father, but he lets the disciples listen in. And these are the things that I want you to glean from this prayer. Number one, it's simple. It's a simple prayer in John 17. It's not a rule-laden prayer. It's not a prayer full of have-tos and ought-tos and shoulds. It's not a to-do list prayer for the disciples. Things to remember to do when he's gone. It's just simple and direct. Secondly, it's relational. It's a relational prayer. Jesus prays several times that they may be one as we are one, Father. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have a unique, complete, loving relationship within the Godhead. Perfect unity. Jesus prays for his disciples and for his future disciples that they may be one, that they may have this kind of unity that Jesus experiences with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Why? Why is this so important? Why does Jesus pray this as his final prayer for his disciples? Because Jesus answers that question. He says, so that the world may know, Father, that you have sent me and that you love them, that you love the world. There will be something in the church, my presence in the church, as they are one, that when the world sees the church, they will know that, Je- that they are of Jesus and that the Father loves them. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that who sh- whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's so important. So his prayer is simple, it's relational, and because it's relational, it's communal. It's not just me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit and all the disciples, all of God's disciples. It's unity and it's community. Together being of one mind and heart in Jesus. Paul put it this way in Philippians 2. He said, Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's absolutely critical for the world to see the church of one heart and one mind in Christ. One of the great blessings of being here at Chapel Hill, I've got to say, and we, Megan did the exercise this morning, had all of you stand up, and so many of you come from so many different dom- denominations. And you're here as part of Chapel Hill. And I can't help but believe that you're here at Chapel Hill because there's a level of unity, not perfect, but there's a level of unity in Christ that you see You hear the message of the Lord, and you've responded to that. Whatever your denominational background is, because the Spirit of God is in you, and you're drawn to that. 2 Corinthians 5 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses and sins against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation our unity in christ is one way that the world sees god's love for them i was at a celebrate recovery event this past uh week um we call it the summit down in southern california we had 28 volunteers and staff who participated in that and one young man uh, came who was new to our group 
And uh, he said to me and he said to others, he said, I am looking for a recovery family where I will be accepted. He shared his story with me. He shared it with the whole team. And he really had come from a very broken family background, a person looking for a loving and accepted, accepting family. You know, people are hungry for love. People come to the church looking, hoping to find people who will love them and accept them, and they're looking for friendship. In fact, the more broken that our world becomes, the more people in the world are looking for genuine, sincere love. They're often looking for it in the wrong ways and in the wrong places, but we pray as a church that they'll ultimately find it in Christ and in his body, the church. Now, if we go back to our original questions here for just a moment, questions like, why can't my faith just be about me and Jesus? Why do I need the church? I've been really hurt by the church. If God calls Christians to love unconditionally, then why don't I see more grace in the church? Why is the church so divided? We need the church because the church is God's chosen instrument to reach the world. You need the church to receive and to give love. That's why you need to be in a life group. You need to be in a life group where you can get close enough and know enough other people where you rub shoulders, where you get to know each other, and where you can give love and where you can receive love. When the church is truly being the church, the world sees God's love for the world. It's care for the poor. It's care for the broken. It's care and concern for the downtrodden. When the, when the world sees that the church is truly trying to be like Jesus, they become curious. They become interested in the message of the church. Why? Because people are starving for a place where they can be loved and accepted. They're hungry for a place where they can be part of something that is greater than themselves. They want to be part of a movement that is serving others who are in need. That's why it cannot be about just me and Jesus. God never intended it to be that way. God's intention is for the church to reflect God's perfect love found in the Trinity, in the community of the Trinity, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we need each other to do that. We cannot do it alone. The world witnesses God's love with all of its power when we as a community of believers love one another. This past week, uh, the pastors got together and uh, we, had a, we were part of a little two-day prayer retreat in which we were led by our prayer team who did a superb job of teaching us and leading us during a time of renewal. At the end of the time, the pastors were divided up into two groups and asked to pray for each other. And I was teamed up with Megan and Ellis. When Megan prayed for me, God brought something different up in the course of that prayer, something I certainly didn't expect. Megan prayed that God would establish markers in my spirit. Kind of, this is Megan's prophetic gift that kind of comes out in prayer. Places of remembrance where uh, God was present, like he was present with the people in the Old Testament, his people in the Old Testament. 
And when I later asked Megan what that meant, she said, well, maybe there are places in your past that God wants to rename or um, redeem situations where you've been hurt. And I kind of took that in. And the next day as I was praying for this message, I was sitting at my computer thinking about that and I just began to sob. It's just, I was sitting there all by myself and I began to sob. And I wasn't thinking about a person that had hurt me in the past or a situation, but I just began to kind of sob. And sometimes I think that the Holy Spirit has given me this spiritual gift that I don't want of sobbing (laughs) because he wants to I I think sometimes he wants the body to be aware of something and I think I think what he I think he because I've talked about this with my wife many times um, I think what he wants the body to realize through this sobbing experience that I sometimes have is that God hurts for those that are hurting. And God is joyful because sometimes you can release tears and joy. God is joyful for those that are rejoicing because we're called to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and to weep with those who So, this is what I've learned about being hurt in the church. God never wastes a hurt. That's worth writing down. He always has something that he wants to teach us through a hurt. So, we will grow in wisdom and grace. In our ability to forgive others... And so that we will possess a greater compassion for others who have been hurt. That's probably where I need to stop. Because that's probably the essence of the message. If you've been wounded by the church, God wants to heal you. He doesn't want you to be holding on to hurts from other people. And he doesn't want you to keep the church at arm's length either. He wants you to be engaged with the church. He wants you to be engaged in relationships through life groups. And he wants you to be using your gifts in ministry here at Chapel Hill or at some other place in the community or around the world. I believe that the Lord, it's not by accident that I'm talking about the church today because I think the Lord wanted to say something through me that with a certain slant on the church here today. There's certainly many things that could be said about the church. We could obviously have a nine-month series on the church. But I think this is a timely message because we are coming up to a season here in just a few weeks where... Pastor Mark and the pastoral staff are going to be teaching about prayer. 
And I honestly believe that God wants to clear the deck of our hearts. He wants everyone's heart to be healed and ready to receive what God has for the church. Because during this next nine months, there's going to be more prayer given up for the church individually and corporately, probably than ever before in the history of Chapel Hill. And most of you know that when you pray, and the more you pray, the more God acts. And we're expecting to see God do tremendous things. And we, as a pastoral staff and as elders, don't want you to miss out on any of it. And so you need to have healed hearts. You need to have cleansed hearts. You need to be ready for what it is that God wants to do in this church. In you and through you. Because if Gig Harbor could see Chapel Hill completely united and one in Jesus, what kind of things could happen in this community? What kind of things could happen in this general area, in the Key Peninsula, in Tacoma, in Port Orchard? If we are one as Jesus and the Father are one. So I want to do a really simple little uh, exercise, a ministry time. I want to invite the prayer team to come up. And uh, it's very simple. You're not going to have to get out of your chairs here. But I'd like us all to put out our hands like this. And put out your hands kind of in this posture. Obviously, your hands are not closed, but your hands are open. And Lord, we just invite you right now, Spirit of God, to come among your people. And if there's any hurt that's been done on any of the brothers or sisters here today, Lord, would you reveal that to them? And as your hands are open, it's symbolic of of your willingness to let go of that hurt, to completely give it up to the Lord, and to forgive the person or persons that have hurt you. Here's the thing. Jesus says it right in the Lord's Prayer that we are forgiven as we forgive others. Forgiveness is not an option. And so we want to be completely healed, completely well people of God, God's people. And it might even be helpful for you to turn your hands over as though you're like letting it go. Lord, I just, I let it go in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would come right now and that you would heal any brother or sister that has a wound that's been done to them by any brother or sister in Christ here or in any other church that they've ever been in. Because, Lord, we know that hurt people hurt people. And we know that we are all broken vessels and that we all need your love and your grace and your mercy in our life because none of us is perfect. We all make mistakes. We all hurt others. And so, Lord, would you in your amazing grace give that grace to every person in here today to forgive and to let go. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.